0: Hello and welcome to the Truth About Local Government podcast, a podcast aimed at providing a platform to promote the excellent work that the political members and officers of local authorities are doing to overcome the increasing challenges facing the communities across the UK. Additionally, we will be promoting the wider way of career opportunities that exist within local government. We hope this podcast will help drive engagement between the public and local authorities across the UK. Today's episode, I am genuinely really looking forward to speaking to Rob Moran. Rob's had a, a, a decorated career, um, concluding as a chief executive for a you know a very well respected um, local government organisation. And today we want to talk about. Well, it's, I won't take any glory. It's Rob's. Um, uh, topic suggestion, the renaissance in local government and what we're seeing at the moment. So without further ado, Rob, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. So for those
0: listening at home, when you talk about a renaissance in local government, what does that mean?
1: Well, just I mean, uh, I'm, I'm kind of semi retired now, uh, but having stepped back uh, from the chief role I had uh, uh, 18 months ago, I've been reflecting on what the last few years of my my career. Uh, uh, what the experience was and, and it was dominated, of course, by the COVID response, but thinking about what we've been through in the public sector. If you look at what what happened from 2010 onwards, where we had kind of the Cameron Osborne austerity budgets and we had um, the bonfire of the quangos and the rolling back of regulation, uh, but we also had massive public sector in, in local government local government cutbacks. So leading up to the pandemic, we were already quite beleaguered in terms of our resourcing. And it felt like we were kind of um, on the back foot for quite a while that period. Then COVID hits, our, our whole world changes. Everybody changes unexpectedly, very rapidly. And local government along with other public sector and voluntary sector colleagues found themselves at the forefront of the response and we were within days um, delivering food parcels making welfare calls to lonely and isolated people uh, and rolling out all our welfare services and our emergency plans and so on uh, all all uh shoulders to the wheel and hands to the pump and um i think in that process for me there was a change in the the general public attitude which was you started to hear people saying, the the cuts have been too far, the cuts have been too deep, we wanted public services that were more resilient than this, we wanted them more, I mean, we want more of what they deliver. And so I think, for me, that's where the kind of, what one I talk about a renaissance in local government, it's kind of a, a public debate now, which is quite active, and it's ongoing, which is that we want to be proud of our public services. We want them to be much more capable, much more resilient, and we want them to be there for us when things are tough and uncertain. And we proved ourselves I think local government proved itself fantastically during the pandemic. And I think that debate rolls on. I would say I think the tabloid press and the mainstream media are a little behind, behind that curve. They're still rolling out the old tro- tropes and the kind of uh, the myths and, and 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 stuff about kind of public sector and non jobs and bureaucracy and so on and obviously they're able to point to some cases. uh, uh, But actually, I think the public debate is ahead of that and saying we are prepared to pay more for public services that really meet the meet the needs. That's where I'm coming from with a renaissance.
0: No, definitely. I I completely agree with you. I think Covid was a time of reflection. And I think for a lot of communities, a local response, a tailored response was was the most effective. And the government had to really step in where, you know, we weren't properly prepared as a, as a country for for that level of, of stress and of challenge. But I think there is still and I know you and I have talked about this a lot. There is still a massive amount of um, gaps in the public knowledge's awareness as to what local governments truly do. And there's, you know, what do councils do? They take our bins out. You know, yeah. why are my council tax bills so high when it's just and the bins taken out? But there is that lack of appreciation of of scale and reach of services. I mean, you know, from child protection, SEND, homelessness, refugees, adult social care, libraries, planning permission, day centres, you know, everything that goes into making that place in that community and supporting that community. I guess for yourself, one of the questions that I have is, in terms of the the branding of of local governments. Is part of the problem that most officers, it's the politicians uh, are normally uh, kind of, they take the forefront of the stage and, you know, so that it's sometimes it's difficult for local government to uh, properly uh, promote the positive work they're doing.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that, I think there's quite a lot in, in what you say, Matt, there. And I, and I think there's a, there's, a, there's a problem for that sector as a whole in that quite a lot of what we do is fantastically important but it's not exactly the sexiest thing to put on the front of the the newspaper or on news at 10 or in in the public's consciousness and so I think um, we don't really have any big hitters on the main stage with regularity uh, you know with notable exceptions but when when the media goes to somebody for for explaining uh, public sector issues they go to Tony Travis or they go to a a few a very few uh, uh, high profile people and I think the sector needs to be right up there and the officers need to be up there supporting the politicians in actually making the case and i think there's a lot to be said because why should the public understand all the complexity of local government but actually what we need to do is explain the importance of what we the, the bits that we do that underpin civilized life and, and and their lifestyles and so like you say a lot of people will say if they're at that point in their lives all the council ever do is empty the bins and sometimes they do it badly then, you know, they're ignoring the things that later on in their lives, they might want um, older people services for their kids. They might want preschool early years support um, if they if they are if they uh, experience a disability, if they have a child with special educational needs, as you touched on, then they will need all sorts of services to support them. And I think local government isn't as good as it could be explaining that we're there for them with that sort of safety net of services. And sometimes it, it changes throughout your life and your life experience. You will need us and you you may need more than just a library and just your bins collected. So I think, I think we need to kind of uh, sell ourselves a bit more effectively.
0: I agree. I want to go back to a phrase you just talked about there, the safety net, because... For me, the councils are safety nets for so many different cross-sections of not just vulnerable people in society, but for everyone in society. And I think particularly, and I keep going on about this at the moment, but with the police not being able to go out and reach for um, for, for mental health call-outs, for hospitals who aren't able to discharge because they haven't got beds, it is local government that steps in and it's almost the, the forgotten child in that kind of tripartite support system that exists there. Um, and it is just so important. I guess the other thing as well is the media being the media they want to sell scandals and the only time sometimes that you get um you know a local government in there is when there's a corruption allegation or there's a grooming gang or there's there's a death in a care home which are obviously horrific and i'm not for one second saying that isn't that shouldn't be reported but sometimes that that is it takes focus away from the the vast majority of the work that's going on and kind of detracts from that um one of the things i'm really keen to talk to you about you know it's it's well known in the industry that you are one of you know exceptional leader and you do um you you now support senior leadership teams chief executives and political leaders with with training and mentorship could you talk to you a little about the importance of organizational culture and leadership for a local government authorities and in delivering a good service to the public yeah
1: thanks matt and I, I i agree with your sentiments on that one and i think when things do go wrong, and they do go wrong, and and you only have to look at the Lucy Letby stuff, and you have to look at the Wayne Cousins stuff that the Met Police are dealing with, and and all of those things that will inevitably go wrong to some degree because of the scale of what we do, it does detract from the fantastic and extensive work that's way beyond that. So as you say, not to diminish that in any way, but the thing that you turn to in those circumstances is the quality of leadership and the strength of organisational culture. And i think if your organizational culture isn't strong or isn't developed and it's not active and it's not lived every day by every member of your organization then you're in trouble and i think that's why chief executives and leaders and politicians and senior officers spend so much time talking about organizational culture it's because it's the spirit of the organization it's what you naturally know to do you do the right thing whatever the circumstances you don't have to get out a manual you know that things are they've got integrity they're authentic and you act in a proper uh, uh, way uh, because of the organizational culture that will support you and I think if you don't hang people out to dry if you support them in what they're doing and if they're doing things for the right reasons then that strength of culture will see most organizations through to the other side even when things go very badly wrong and so I think this renaissance in local government, you kind of, you do need to be proud of what, what you do. Um, I'm incredibly proud to have worked in, in the public sector for so long and for local authorities. And I think having strong organizational cultures are what underpin things so that you can explain where you're going, you can explain what you do. And sometimes when you have to say no to people, um, then that's part of the deal. But if, you're, if you've got a healthy organization with strong leadership, then I think that's, that's uh, 80% of the battle.
0: In terms of your approach, I mean, I know we, we, we've not known each other that long, Robert, but you've always struck me as a, as, a, as a kind person, but also somebody with a tremendous resilience. How important is that? Is I, I don't want to, to, to sound wishy-washy with this, but is kindness and celebrating elected members and the, the reinvigoration of local democracy to a, a good public service offering?
1: Yeah, so I think when you're in local government, if you, you don't see the value of the local democracy the dedication and commitment of elected councillors then you're in the wrong job and I think um, I've been privileged to work with so many elected members and all sorts of administrations of all political persuasions and the one thing that kind of um, binds them all together is that they are in it for the vast 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 majority are in it for the right reasons they want to do things better they want the council to be great they want services to be delivered as efficiently as possible but they want their communities to be supported and they do it for the love they don't do it for to, to get rich i've never i don't think i've ever met a very rich councillor um they 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 do it for the right reasons and i and i think along there we do, we deliver kind of uh services with compassion because we're dealing with vulnerable people for a lot of the time. So 60%, somebody once said, 60% of council expenditure is on 2% of the population. Uh, and that's because we are dealing with vulnerable people, people who have got uh, hardship in their lives, uh, they may be homeless, uh, they may be vulnerable, uh, they may have all sorts of different needs, uh, maybe experience extensive poverty, and, and we're there for them, and the councillors are there for them, And I think we need to celebrate that democracy and the compassion of our services, because it's a great skill, not only to deliver um, services in an efficient way, but also to do it with kindness and compassion. And about 10 or 12 years ago, I started putting kindness in my presentations to staff and so on. and And I think people were kind of quite taken aback by that at the time. But now you see it more and more. Kindness is something to be proud of because it shows your human empathy. And I think in local government, we, we're applying that every day in all sorts of circumstances, and I think it's something to be very proud of. For a lot of people, I think historically
0: kindness was seen as a substitute for commercial nows and for kind of the strength of a business plan, but it doesn't have to be. Kindness can be something which definitely adds more to a leader, to an organisation, fundamentally to a to a community. Um, I mean, I'd like to talk to you about I me mean, because you've got such a broad uh, oversight as to the issues that are affecting local government at the moment. We, we've had a chat, kind of off air, about kind of six topics that you feel are the, the main issues. But can you could talk to us about what do you feel are the main issues
1: affecting local government at the moment? We, yeah, it's it's interesting. When, whenever uh, we used to have a, a new councillors join a join, join the authority that I was working in, after about a year, I would take those uh, relatively new councillors aside for a cup of coffee, and I would say to them. How's your first year been in the in the council? What have you found? What are your impressions? What have you really enjoyed? What have you hated, and so on? And they and they said a number of things. And they said, said, I had no idea the issues that we dealt with were so interesting, uh, but also incredibly complex. And the other and the other thing they always said was, I am so bowled over by the skills, dedication, and commitment of the staff that the council has working for it. And that's kind of you know that's that's it's unwavering those those two impressions and and I, and I think the interesting thing and the complexity of the issues local government's privileged to be dealing with some really really big things that are real life so um the one that sticks out for me is sort of the changing demographics so one in three babies born today will live to be more than 100 years old if uh, if, if there isn't a catastrophe of some sort. That's the kind of those are the projections. So we are dealing with incredibly, incre- incredibly long, long longevity. Uh, and that's you know everything from the rise of dementia and how we support people with dementia and, and the rise of cancers that people didn't live long enough to get and so on. And all of those healthcare needs and social interaction needs. And local government's are right at the heart of that. We we need to be part of the solution to that, part of the response and supporting and enabling within that so i think the demographics are we've got an elderly population and and are the youngsters coming through now going to be in a position to support those and what are the older populations going to do for themselves how can we organize them to be part of an active citizenship into old age so there's a big demographic Uh, i wouldn't call it a time bomb but it's an it's a big issue and local government seems to be central to the solution to that Um, Second one I would point to would be housing and refugees. Uh, I think that's kind of, uh, we have a housing crisis. We aren't building enough houses. Um, houses aren't accessible to enough people. And it comes on to another another issue, which is giving young people a stake in the housing market. Because as far as I can see, you know, it's not gonna be very satisfactory to have all the old people having all the pensions and all the property and all the young people struggling around and not being able to get uh, a place to rent or a place, a place to buy. And I think if you exclude young people from having a stake in their future, then that's a recipe for uh, uh, discontent and unrest. So housing kind of bleeds into refugees and in the current, you know, here we are, a local government at the, again at the heart of the response to the refugees the home office putting people into hotels in local areas and saying over to you local council support these refugees and you know it literally having to turn on the sixpence and go and support uh, hundreds of refugees in some hotels to make sure that they are properly looked after uh, and and that's the local authority you know absorbing that so that of course puts pressure on the on the housing stock where you know, people. Well, we've got 2,000 people on the housing register already, are these people jumping the queue? And all of that stuff, which is natural concerns, but big issues for local local authorities, I think, to, to unpick and deal with. Um, adult social care, how many governments have said that they're going to crack that issue? How many governments have failed to crack that issue? Um, uh, we know that hospital discharge is a really big issue, uh, but local authorities are again the key to that, if we can find a way Uh, I understand that it costs about £500 a night to have somebody in hospital but some local authorities have got an offer where we can can support people in their homes for less than half that cost uh, by meals on wheels, by home visits and so on and and by linking in with district nursing services. So again local government facilitating those sorts of uh, issues because again that sort of hospital discharge, adult social care, uh, and that public debate, we're not, you know, the public aren't prepared to put up with people on minimum wage doing the majority of the caring for older people in, in care homes. Climate change, uh, big one. I think I'll kind of, uh, that, that's my kind of penultimate one. It's all about behaviour change. I remember 15 years ago when we used to recycle 18% of our refuse and local authorities started to really take the uh, the initiative on making pe- people's kind of recycling facilities uh, much more uh, easily uh, available. And we've pushed that now to between sort of 50, 65 percent recycling. And that's real behaviour change by community leadership, by local authorities. So I think on climate change, it's going it, to it needs it. I think the signs that local authorities are trying to do that. Uh, um, we're obviously at a bit of an impasse with the government of what what the what the public perception is. With all sorts of stuff, but I think behaviour change is going to be necessary, and local government needs to be, and and I believe it will be at the the heart of that. Uh, And the final one I would would sign off with in terms of big issues would be kind of a future pandemic. You hear all sorts of rumours all the time about uh, Omicron is coming back, and et cetera, et cetera. But COVID took us um, not by surprise because we had plans, but it it fundamentally shifted our life, our, our life, and our outlook and there's nothing to say it won't happen again and we need to be very very agile in our response to that. So I'm sorry it sounds like I'm machine gunning you man No but, no you're um, not at all and I think there's, there's a bit play.
0: on that. Yeah, I mean Peter Holt the chief executive Otterson he was on talking about the national risk register that they were saying yes, we anticipate exactly. that in the next um 5 to 20 years there will be another pandemic um this is similar to covid that we will experience as a society. And you know that that's a real concern i think one of the questions i've got there is those issues it feels like all of the it, challenges it, that government faces are evolving at the moment the the the, the society really shifting what people need the um i mean climate change is a sleeping giant it shouldn't be sleeping but it's almost it, it's that's the kind of situation where, because a lot of these issues, I believe a local response is best. And I, again, local response needs to happen with COVID, uh, with COVID, sorry, with climate change. But having central government as an advisory and holding us to account and providing the expertise and in, in kind of information distribution would be would be obviously a need to 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 resolve that. Going back to the evolutionary piece, can councils evolve fast enough? Do you think to meet the ever changing needs and requirements of the challenges they face?
1: I think almost inevitably not, because I think I think this, you know, the, the climate emergency is, is an emergency on all sorts of on all sorts of fronts. But I think um, I, I think local government can only do its best, and I think that's what I, I, I mean about strong leadership. And I think, you know, Sadiq Khan in London is is having to show that now with Ulez Now he may be right, he may be wrong, but actually he's having to hold his nerve against the most enormous kind of uh, public back and, and media backlash. Um, but that's kind of sometimes where political leadership and and sector leadership needs to be to change public behavior uh, and and the outlook on on key issues and climate change it doesn't get much bigger, does it? So whether we're fast enough, whether we're strong enough, whether we're big enough, probably not, but we need to do our very best.
0: Obviously with such a an impressive career that you've had, you know we you know what would you say were the three, Takeaways that you've had from your career, lessons that you've learned that you'd share with that next generation coming through, considering a career in local government or starting a career in local government.
1: So, uh, if I had a few, and I've got uh, I've got long lists in my head, but I'll I'll pick three as you, as you've said, Matt. I, I think uh, come back to that that kindness and resilience stuff. I think when you're in these sorts of jobs in public service in the front line standing up at public meetings, sitting there in council meetings, having to front stuff up. You have to have great resilience and you need to show kindness to yourself as much as you show show to others. But we also have the privilege of public service in being able to be compassionate and showing kindness to some of the most vulnerable and people who are going through the toughest of times. And so we're in that privileged position where we can afford, and indeed, I would argue, we're paid to show great compassion and kindness to people. So I think, as you said earlier, it's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, it's not—it's not about being macho anymore, and, and sort of performance standards and this, that, and the other. It is about the quality of the service in terms of kindness and compassion. So that's one thing I would say. The, the second thing I would say, uh, and it's an old adage, but you know, your attitude will affect your altitude. And, and I do believe that in life and in your career, you get out what you put in. So I think um, if you if you recruit for attitude, you can train people to do almost anything. And I would point to in Elmbridge, uh, we uh, started off some many years ago now, a customer services team, and we brought in some very young people to uh, staff the phones and Um, everybody said well you can't possibly answer planning queries you can't possibly answer this you can't possibly answer that. with about six weeks training those those young people staffing those phones in the customer contact center were able to cover 80 percent of what we did with great professionalism with fantastic insight and knowledge and brilliant judgment and i sat there with them listening into the calls and their brilliance never ceased to amaze me so I, i think Recruiting for attitude, training for skills is is a, is another key thing. And, uh, and my final one to sign off uh, with uh, would be authenticity, values and trust. I think you can't pretend to be someone you're not. Uh, you may want to be George Clooney, but you're never going to be George Clooney. Um, I've learned that through bitter experience, but actually um, <laughs> you, you've got to be your authentic self. You have got to live your values. And in that leadership sense, you've got to demonstrate that you are true to your values, and I think trying to impersonate something, pretend to be something that you're not, you will be found out within about thirty seconds and I would say, be your authentic self and be proud and more than that in twenty twenty three be proud to work in local government
0: I love that and before we go on to the last question, I just want to go back to one point there because I constantly one of the questions I get asked most about by local government clients who work in hr or are running recruitment campaigns is how do we deal with the recruitment and retention issue which is one of the most it's probably up there with one of the biggest challenges facing local government because local government is only as strong as its people and i think we need to repeat you know what robert just said there is attitude dictates altitude you get out what you put in so everyone out there who's struggling to recruit remember Recruit on attitude, and you can you can teach the rest. I think that's I think that that is probably one of the most powerful things that I've 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 had on this podcast so far is lesson: attitude dictates altitude. So, you know, if you're listening at home and you work in local government, remember that. Um, And if you're not in local government in any walk of life, remember that because I think that is such a valid point. And you can't always you know responsible where you're born or the circumstances or things that happen to you, but you can. Obviously, always control your attitude. So um, I think that's absolutely phenomenal. My last question to you, you, Robert, and um, I'm a little bit in awe of that last piece there, so I will uh, I'll stop talking. But why is local government important?
1: Well, I think it kind of brings us back to where I started, really, which is that when times are uncertain. And, you know, we're all only kind of one bereavement, one redundancy, one divorce away from kind of sitting on a street corner with a can of tenants or having fallen on hard times. Um, local government is the, the, the safety net that sits below you and whatever those hard times are, whatever those vulnerabilities are, whether it's a lack of food or it's a lack of money or it's a lack of, of shelter, whatever part of your life needs supporting, it's usually the case that local government has part of the answer and it's got some brilliant people who can sort you out. So local government is fundamentally important to our way of life. Um, and in, in uncertain times when nobody knew whether they were gonna survive COVID or uh, how long it was gonna go on for or whatever, there's a great illustration there that this the one certainty that they had in many people's lives was they were gonna get a phone call from the local council saying, are you all right? Have you got your medicine? Are you running out of food can we be there for you and all of that stuff and i think that that just that just sums up local government in a in a a tiny example
0: local is best and um i just want to thank you so much for your time rob because this has been genuinely i've loved this um and just for those listening there again you know rob delivers a a training and mentoring scheme to senior leadership teams across the uk so if that's ever of interest please watch out to rob directly um but from, from myself here at the Truth About Local Government podcast and for everyone at home, thank you so much for your time, Robert. It's been fantastic. My pleasure. Thank you, Matt. And for those listening at home, have a great day. The Truth About Local Government podcast is proud to endorse SUSO, a charity set up to support people from disadvantaged and diverse backgrounds finding roles in entry level positions within local government legal services. If you are interested in supporting this course, please find details in the link below. SUSO. Stand up, speak out.